Welcome to Creekside Church. We're excited to see everyone here on a Mother's Day. It's a little dark outside right now, but we will uh, sing and uh, lift our voices up regardless of the weather. And um, just want to remember our mothers on this day. Um, be thankful for them. Be thankful that God has put us into families. Let's go ahead and stand uh, as we sing our, our opening song together.
from Psalm 121 as we just think of the the goodness and the faithfulness of God um, Psalm 121 says I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not let your foot be moved he who keeps you will not slumber Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I thought by now they 
waiting for change to come, knowing the battles won, for you have never failed me yet. Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, in your hands. You have not failed us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. 
thank you for your goodness, your greatness, uh, your faithfulness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat, and we have a special Mother's Day choir coming up, and they are going to uh, share a song with us um, this morning. So come on up. We look forward to hearing, hearing you guys.
Praise God. Thank you, uh, gals, uh, for that and for Dakota for organizing it. A couple of things that we want to uh, bring to your attention, a couple of special things going on today. Uh, first of all, to all the mothers out there, I want to say Happy Mother's Day. It's good to have you with us. Also, we have a couple of graduates that we're recognizing today, so I'm going to ask, uh, I know I didn't talk to my daughter about this, but I did talk to Cora, so uh, if Cora and Shara would come up here, we're going to pray for them, so we're going to have them come up. Where's Cora at? Uh, there she is, okay. Uh, we're going to pray for them, and uh, so uh, Cora is headed off to college, I think I have this right, she's headed to the University of uh, Iowa, is that correct? Yeah. And she'll continue her studies there. Uh, Shara will be headed to Kansas. You can just stay right down here. Kansas uh, University. Uh, she'll be at the medical center down there pursuing her uh, internship and a master's in uh, dietetics. So uh, I'm going to pray for them. Norb and I are going to be here, and I'm going to pray for them. And then uh, we have another special thing that Norb's going to announce. So let, let us pray. Father, for these young ladies, we thank you uh, for your, your mercy and your grace in their lives. We thank you for your faithfulness to them and that you have been so, so good to them. I know that they have had struggles and challenges. We thank you for the perseverance that each of them have. We thank you for their hard work and their diligence, and we thank you that you're rewarding them for it. I pray for your rich blessing as they proceed in the next step of their lives, that you give them your grace, your mercy, and you keep them close to you, and they would keep you close to them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, all right. And right now, uh, we're not asking them to come forward, but uh, Norb, uh, Norb wants to, uh, he's going to be praying for, I'll let you announce it. Okay, Aaron and uh, Kara, are you guys here? Aaron, Kara Jones, yeah. there they are. Okay, and you have your daughter Avery, too, or Emery, right? Avery. 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 We, uh, the elders have had the privilege to talk to them about their faith in Christ and that they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have met with the elders and have been through the membership class and they have wanted to be announced as members of Creekside. So, yeah, you guys, welcome, welcome. Right, I'm just going to say a prayer for God's blessing upon them. Father, we just thank you for Aaron and Kara and the fact that they love the Lord Jesus Christ, your son, whom we love. We ask for your rich blessing upon them and the, uh, the fact that they were willing to uh, join this church and we bless them and we come alongside of them and lift them up for uh, your goodness to them and their goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, just a couple of other things. I'm going to uh, dismiss the um, uh, Generation Jesus gang. Uh, if they already left, they already left. Yeah, they, they did it. Okay, Ann asked me to, Ann asked me to uh, dismiss them, but uh, she must have thought I was getting delinquent in it, so she, she, uh, she got them out of here anyway. So that's all right. That's all right. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, I don't know that there's any, there's a lot of other stuff in the bulletin. You can take note of that if you want to. Uh, if you would, there's plenty of things going on. Really would continue to appreciate your prayers as we search for uh, a replacement for Megan, administrative assistant. That's kind of uh, uh, a reality that we're living with right now, and we just appreciate you uh, keeping us in your prayers with regard to that. A lot of other things going on at the church, and we're excited and grateful for that. 
I thank you for your, your patience as we, uh, you know, if you try to call and get a hold of us or whatever, and there's a message on the answer machine, it may be a little bit before you uh, get a response or whatever, so we're just uh, thankful. It's a, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me if you would. Father, as we uh, look to your word, uh, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Uh, demonstrated at least in one remarkable way through the transmission of the text of Scripture and the working of the Spirit of God as we study. I pray that you'd help us to see these truths for what they really are, the Word of God and not just the Word of men, that our lives would be impacted and changed and transformed by your Spirit's power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to say uh, that Next Saturday, uh, there are a lot of things going on <laughs> for people in the church, but uh, we are uh, kind of sending off the, the Mark Arts uh, uh, with uh, sadness and joy. Uh, glad for them, uh, sad for us, uh, but uh, that's okay. So they're, they're having a party at their house, so don't miss out on that party, even if you're going to the Shen's uh, ice cream party, so you can just party all day. Uh, it's, it's all right. It's good. Um, you know... How, how we treat a person after they're gone, after they pass away, is a little bit of an indication of how we value them when they're alive. And uh, I know that I've shown you pictures of Arlington National Cemetery before, but I wanted to show you another picture of Arlington National Cemetery because in the tomb of the unknown soldier lies uh, military people or representing military people whose lives ha have been honored, they're esteemed. But in stark contrast to that, throughout Europe, uh, particularly in Poland, there are mass graves of millions of people who lost their lives in the Holocaust that are absolutely demeaned. They're not valued uh, in the same way that, that these people are. Uh, the soldiers are esteemed and the others are, are demeaned. But in, uh, in the record of Jesus' burial, as we're looking at it in Matthew 27, we're going to find out uh, that there, there are two different responses to Jesus' burial, that these are the responses. By some, he was esteemed, and by others, he was demeaned. Uh, the women who were there at his burial, and Joseph of Arimathea, these are people who show, through faith and reverence, esteeming Jesus. But then there are the Sanhedrin and the Romans who th show through their treatment of Jesus and through their fear and through their rejection of Jesus, uh, they demean him. And so these responses, I think, mirror our own. Or if they don't mirror our own, they at least manifest a need for us to change the way we're responding to the death of Jesus. And so I would invite you, if you have your Bible, or if you want to reach under the seat in front of you and find one of those Bibles, or if you have your phone or device, or whatever you have that you want to access the, the Scriptures on, to turn to Matthew 27, because the story of the burial of Jesus in verses 57 through 66 reveals two possible contrasting responses to Jesus. And these contrasting responses to Jesus, at least in my opinion, serve a lot of purposes. 
and you see them there if you're looking at the screen, but they, they inspire, they should, for believers, they inspire boldness. And they should instill us with confidence. But for unbelievers, they, they indict, uh, which is a criminal charge, against those who reject Jesus. And I would hope and I pray that they would somehow in, in invite those who don't know Jesus to reconsider him and to receive him as their Lord and Savior. I'm going to read the text, verses 57 through 66 in Matthew chapter 27. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given over to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, which is the one after the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have the guard, go. Make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Well, the first thing I see in the text, the first response is there was this response of, of, of faith and reverence on the part of, of Joseph of, of Arimathea. And I want to look at that and consider it each of the aspects separately. First of all, his faith. The text tells us that it was, and when it was evening, somewhere between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Friday, Jesus passed away. And he passed away before 6 p.m. because 6 p.m. was the start of the Passover. Okay, And so they wanted to get him off the cross, off the cross and buried before the Passover began. And the text says that his, his faith is highlighted, at least I see it highlighted in a couple of ways. First of all, his faith is declared. The text says that this guy was a, a rich man from Arimathea, which is a Jewish city. So he was a Jewish man, okay? And it says that he came, I think he came, it says, in fulfillment of, Isaiah 53, 9 says that, that the servant of the Lord was with a rich man in his death. So in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 9, Joseph of Arimathea came, and it says he had become a disciple. He'd become a follower of Jesus Christ, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. What an interesting thing. If you'll kind of flash back a little bit to Matthew chapter 19, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus went through this litany. He says, all you have to do is sell everything and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Oh, can't do that. And Jesus says, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Fast forward, Matthew chapter 27, and we read of the rich man of Arimathea who had become a disciple. Because in Matthew 19, the disciples said to Jesus, they said, well, if this is true, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, 
with God, all things are possible. And here we have living proof that God is able to do what others deem to be impossible. And Joseph had personally turned from his own sin and he had trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone. He came to faith in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the same way every person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace we've been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast about it. It's not what I've done. It's what God's done for me. It's what God's done for you. And then it's our recognizing that our sin separates us from Him and that we turn from our sin and we trust Him and He accepts us into His family. It reminds me, it reminded me, it doesn't have to remind you, but it reminded me of what uh, John wrote in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things have been written uh, so that you might believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, you might have life in His name. That's the message of the gospel. And if you're here listening online or you're here in church and you've never personally put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the Joseph of Arimathea sets the standard. He sets the example. He came to faith in Christ in the same way you and I come to faith in Christ. Joseph of Arimathea wasn't just a man who was curious in the crowd. He wasn't one of those consumers waiting to get something from Jesus. He was a committed follower of Christ. He was a genuine convert to Jesus. And we learn from Luke chapter 23, which is a parallel passage here, in verses 50 and 51, that he was a good and righteous man. And that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Okay? He was a disciple of Jesus but John tells us he was one secretly. He was a secret disciple of Jesus, and I think he was a secret disciple of Jesus, if we understand a little bit more about him, that because he was a prominent member of the council. So he wasn't just a man, a rich man from Arimathea, a Jewish man. He was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, the very group that had sentenced Jesus or worked to get Jesus sentenced to death. So you can imagine why he might have been a secret follower of Jesus, okay? He was a Jewish man of means and influence whose belief in Christ put him at odds with his peers, put him at odds with his countrymen, put him at odds with the Romans, and so he was silent. Uh, made me think, uh, just this last week, or maybe it was a week last week, there was a guy by the name of Joe... Uh, Kennedy from Bremerton he was the football coach at Bremerton Washington High School and he was fired because he would go to the middle of the field after the games and he would kneel down in prayer and then other people started going students and, and football players would go and they'd join him there and so they fired him because they thought that he was trying to establish religion there and the Supreme Court just heard his case we don't know what the ruling is but they just heard his case he was a man who was despised because of his allegiance to Jesus. He was despised by his peers. He was despised by his fellow uh, people in the district. He was despised by the government, uh, at least some form that allowed this to, to happen. But his case is still out. So 
Joseph's faith was declared, but then it was demonstrated. And we see his faith being demonstrated in verse 58. It says, this man. I like that. He's just a dude. Uh, He's just a regular guy. He's a guy like you and me. This man, this Joseph of Arimathea, a human being just like us, what did he do now? He traded his cowardice, his secret discipleship, for courage. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Could I take him and bury him? At this point, at this point in his life, he took up his cross and he followed Christ. He hadn't been so courageous before, but now he took up his cross and he followed Jesus, just like Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If you were here last week or you listened last week, uh, Micah asked us a question when he started his, his sermon. Where are the men? Here's one. Here's one. Where are the men? Here's one. Right here is Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph didn't stay in the shadows, in comfort, but he stood before Pilate with courage. He stood before Pilate and said, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to to see him out of his devotion. Not following Jesus out of comfort or convenience or because it was cool. I've told you a little bit before I think about a friend that we have who's a a pastor in Ukraine and he has five children and he took his wife and their five children to another country where they would be safe and after he got them safely there he returned to shepherd his flock in Ukraine and he's still there serving his shepherd and his flock he's a follower of Jesus not because it's convenient not because it's comfortable, but because of his devotion to Christ. He stood up. Joseph's love for Jesus here outweighed the potential risk. What was the potential risk? The potential risk for standing up and and aligning himself with Jesus was that he would be rejected by his family and his friends. He would lose his reputation. He would lose the respect of his peers. He might lose his financial position. He could possibly even face punishment by Rome. In spite of it all, he stepped up. He stepped up. He did what he needed to do. The courage of Joseph, I think, stands in stark contrast to the cowardice of Pilate and of Peter. All right? Both of those guys. And it it, it reflects, these guys do, they reflect the thinking of our age. It's the A life lived with personal expediency as the motivating force. Because our culture says you only really submit to a truth that you create. I submit to the truth that I decide is true. And I don't decide and submit to any other truth. But here we have Peter. He did, uh, uh, Peter, he he hid in the shadows. And so did Pilate. They did so because they they wanted to, Save their save face, you know. I gotta, I gotta look good, you know, to people. They wanted to stave off any kind of criticism. They wanted to secure their financial position. They wanted to stay popular with people. But have Joseph here. 
And Joseph said, no, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to step up and I'm going to stand up for Jesus. You see, in our day and age, we live in a, a culture, and, and I, I've been reading social media, and you know, some of you are aware of the uh, recent leak of the, uh, the kind of the early decision by the Supreme Court on the Roe versus Wade thing and all kinds of stuff in the culture. I would tell you this, it's my firm conviction that there's no person who's a professing Christian who can purport and support and advocate for uh, racial prejudice, same-sex marriage, abortion. It's inconsistent with the scriptures. We can't advocate. We can't support. We can't do those things. We, we, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to shrink back and stay in the shadows like Pilate and Peter? Or am I going to step up like Joseph and stand up for what God's word says, the truth of God's word, and align myself with Jesus regardless of what happens? Every, every unbiblical agreement with society Every alignment with society is actually a, an assimilation into the culture that doesn't draw me to Jesus, but drives me further away from Jesus. It's one of those steps that takes me further and further away from Jesus until finally I, I capitulate. It's interesting to me that just this week, I, I heard that the Church of Scotland, now they're, uh, they are actually coming to a point where they're going to uh, allow for same-sex marriage uh, and, and support same-sex marriage, and, you know, officiate same-sex marriages. That's going to be the official position of the Church of Scotland soon. In contrast to their biblical convictions and in contrast to their doctrinal statements, they're going to do that. But I would submit to you that every time history shows that when denominations, that are denominations that capitulate in order to imitate the culture ultimately deteriorate into nothing. It's a step away. A step away from Christ. Think about it, folks. If the church of Jesus Christ, if the church that claims to follow Jesus Christ mirrors the culture, why do we need the church? What's the point? If we're no different than the world, we don't need us. But the world needs us. So I'm challenged in my own heart. Will I start being a little more bold for Jesus? Will I start to ask people, you know, is there something I can pray for you about? How can I be praying for you? Will I be a little bit more courageous to share about my faith? You know, all of you people, all of us that are on social media, what's, you know, what, is it, what, is it, what does it say about us? You know, are we willing to speak up for Jesus on our social media? Are we supposed to, in, in our daily interactions with people? Uh, Joseph's courage uh, to identify himself as a follower of Jesus, I think, is commendable. It's also inspirational. It's a challenge to me. And just ask yourself, you know, where is it most difficult for me to speak up for Jesus? Is it in your family? You know, it's like, yeah. I don't talk about that because if I even mention Jesus, then somebody's going to go off the wall, you know, off the rails. Is it at the workplace? Maybe it's in school. Can't do that. Interestingly enough, after Pilate had confirmed that Jesus was dead, and this is an important thing, I think, after he confirmed that Jesus was dead, then he gave Jesus over to Joseph, okay? Okay. So we see the faith 
of Joseph. Now we see the reverence of Joseph. Once he received the body in verses 59 and 60, there are several ways that Joseph uses his wealth to show reverence to the Lord. How did he do that? Well, it says that he took the body, verse 58, 59, and Joseph took the body, and what did he do with the body? He wrapped it in a linen cloth, expensive linen cloth, mind you, not just, I mean, linen was expensive. It was an expensive linen cloth, okay? And we know from John's gospel in John chapter 19 that Nicodemus joined him. So we have Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus collaborating on this, this process. I like Thomas and Gundry in the Harmony of the Gospels. They put it this way. The disciples who had openly followed Jesus during his lifetime ran away at the end. But the two who had, been, had kept their faith secret while he was alive came forward publicly to give him an appropriate burial. Think about that? The disciples are with him for three years. Where are they in this? Joseph and Nicodemus were kind of secret followers, and now here, boom, they show up on the scene. Next, he used his wealth. He placed Jesus in his own tomb, his own private tomb. Not everybody had a private tomb. The poor people didn't have a private tomb. They had a common burial site. And then he had, he, gave, he had this private tomb that was hewn out of the rocks where no one had ever lain. And finally, he rolled a stone against it. So I read one commentator, he says, this was like the deluxe model funeral, you know. Okay, it's like he had, he had, the, had all the deluxe stuff, you know, because he had rolled a stone in front, of the, in front of the tomb, in front of the entrance. Why would you do that? To protect the body from animals and birds and grave robbers, okay? And it was a stone big enough that no single individual would be able to move that stone, okay? So the rich man's love for Jesus moved him to get his hands dirty. I mean, you look down through the text. He took, you know, he wrapped, he buried, he dug out the tomb, then he rolled the stone away. He did stuff. This is a rich guy. Humbled himself enough. He modeled for us a faith that loves. A faith that gives. A faith that serves our Savior. That's what he did. Uh, I was reading this week in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us show gratitude by which we offer to God acceptable service with reverence and awe. An unshakable kingdom. So we offer to God service with reverence and awe, like Joseph. With reverence. Finally, out of reverence for Joseph, he, 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 he did. He rolled that stone over there, and then we look at all of this. And I think all of what happened here, I think, has historical significance. It has theological significance, and it certainly has prophetic significance because it, it, it says in Isaiah 53, you can read Isaiah 53, that he was with a rich man in his burial and that he, he gave himself up and died for our sins, so he, he was placed in this tomb. Think about this. A verifiably dead Jesus 
he was dead, was singularly placed in an impenetrable and secure tomb in a known location, and all of those facts to me only give greater credibility to the testimony of those who say he rose from the dead. Had he been thrown in a common grave with other people in an unknown location, perhaps not even dead, I mean, all of the things could, but no, all of it happened. And he surrendered to this final form of humiliation in order to accomplish that for which he came, which was to die for our sins. So we should announce it and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes with confidence and with appreciation. See, reverence means to honor. It means to esteem. So I ask myself, I ask us, do we manifest Joseph's respect and reverence for Jesus? Or do we take our cues from the world? Does our conduct, are, are we, using last week's sermon, are we sitting with the world in promiscuity? in dishonesty, in disobedience to our parents, financially uh, questionable activity? Are we sitting with the world in indecent entertainment? I think Joseph challenges, he challenges me, uh, his life, his love for Jesus. It challenges our cultural concept of submitting only to the truth I create because he was willing to submit to the truth. All the time, the press of our culture, the press of our culture is you create your own truth, you create your own truth, and your truth is not my truth, and your truth is a subjective thing, and I'm supposed to respect your truth, you're supposed to respect my truth, and none of us has to submit to the truth. Because that seems to be oppressive, but that's where we need to go. Think about this, the witness of the thief on the cross the witness of the Gentile centurion and his troops at the foot of the cross, the testimony of Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man who buried Jesus after the cross. Who is excluded from Jesus? A criminal? Hardened Roman soldiers? Rich people? It's the all-inclusive message of the gospel. At the end of Jesus' life, it is he is the king of Israel and the Lord of the nations. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come only rich people, come only poor people, come only this kind of people. No, come all, and I will give you rest. Now, the faith and the reverence of the women is also at play here. Because we see at the end of this section, in verse 61, and Mary Magdalene was there, and the mother of Mary sitting opposite the grave. The other parallel texts tell us it wasn't just these. There were many that were there. And we learn from them, and I, I like what uh, Turner says in his commentary. He says, they, the women, they are the last to leave the tomb. They are first to discover the empty tomb, and they are the first to proclaim the risen Christ. Where are the disciples? Where are the dudes? 
Where are the men? <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Uh, you know, Mother's Day. The women are there. The presence of the women makes the absence of the disciples conspicuous. Why were they there? Oh, it's their duty. They're morally bound. No. They understood what it knows to be redeemed. They were gripped by the grace of God in their lives. And the love of Christ compelled them to serve and follow Jesus even after he died. They were captivated, captivated by his grace and his forgiveness. And I wonder how often am I captivated by the grace of God and his mercy that it's nothing I've done, it's everything he's done and I owe him everything. This is not trying to pay Jesus back. This is serving him out of his love and what he's done for them. They sought to live for him. I pray that that's true for me. We see the faith and reverence expressed toward Jesus. And then in contrast, in the next few verses, in verses 62 through 66, we see fear and rejection expressed. And the chief priests, uh, you know, they united with a common enemy against the common enemy. They united with the Romans against the common enemy. That was Jesus. Okay? And they made a request. And consider uh, what, what they did. There, there was fear here. Okay? On the next day, which means on the Sabbath, or on the, on the Passover day, on the Passover, which meant that these people were defiling themselves. They were <laughs> Jewish people uh, going to a, a pagan Roman emperor on the Sabbath. So they defiled themselves. Okay? But they're really worried about Jesus, you know, being some heretic. But they were willing to defile themselves to hold this meeting, all right, with Pilate. They feared that a, a plot was being devised to steal the body of Jesus so that the promise that Jesus had made that he would rise the third day would be fulfilled somehow. They would, uh, you know. What were they afraid of? They'd lose their power. They'd lose their position. They'd lose their privilege as, you know, kind of had an in with the Roman government. And the, life was cushy for them, right? Life was okay. They, they had it all together. And they feared the plot to steal Jesus' body would provide justification for the claim that Jesus had made. They labeled Jesus a deceiver. And then they labored to maintain their commitment to see his demise I don't know I, I don't know all the ins and outs but I found it very curious that two days after billionaire Elon Musk uh, purchased Twitter that the government uh, the Department of Homeland Security declared uh, that they had a new office and the new office was the disinformation governance board now what I mean what is I, I'm just asking questions here I'm not I'm just saying it seems to me somebody's got a little bit of fear about something that might be said that they might not like. These people were afraid. Jesus was threatening their comfort and their ability. The disciples, interestingly enough, they struggled to grasp what Jesus was telling them in Matthew chapter 16, verse, I think it's 21. 
Uh, yeah, and in chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, in chapter 20, verses 19, when Jesus says, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise the third day. Plain talk. He just told them straight up, and they didn't get it. But here we have the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they understood the veiled reference that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 12, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the, wh- the whale, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. They understood it, and they're saying, whoa, wait a second, he said he's going to rise the third day. Where are the disciples in this? I don't know. But they didn't get it, but these guys did. And they believed that he would devise a plan uh, to make the people believe that he had risen. And so they instructed Pilate. That's interesting, they instructed Pilate. So who's in charge here? Pilate, you know, you're going to tell them, you're going to give us this guard, or guess what? We're going to go to the Romans and say, he's collaborating with King Jesus. You know, interesting in John's gospel, he kind of, they, they kind of play that out. Uh, they, they, Pilate really has to capitulate because they say, are you a friend of Caesar or are you not a friend of Caesar, Pilate? And he can't go down that road. And so he gives the order, proving that the, the, the Sanhedrin is in control, and you know, all he had to do was secure the grave until the third day, because after the third day, it didn't matter if Jesus' body was gone, because he said he would rise on the third day. What would a resurrected Jesus do? It proved Jesus was who he said he was, that he's the king. It proved that he was God, and they couldn't have that. And if Pilate refused to give him the guard and secure the tomb, then he'd be a traitor. He'd be a collaborator with the insurrectionists. Couldn't have that. I think what I see here is that Jesus' enemies then and Jesus' enemies now fear. You know, think about your life. If you're here and you know Jesus, before you, before you committed your life to Jesus, and, and some of you are listening and you don't know Jesus, the fear, I think, I may, become, I may be wrong on this, but I think to some degree it's true that there's a fear that you'll, you'll lose position. You'll lose possessions. Uh, we'll lose, you know, that's the whole, I'm going to have to go to Africa and, you know, go up the, the river and, and lose, I'm going to lose all my possessions. Or we'll lose our pleasures. Well, you know, I kind of like some of this sin I'm involved in. And so I don't want to give that up. So if I, if I follow Jesus, I have to give up some of these pleasures that are enticing me. This is the thing for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. It's the thing that those in the world today that reject Jesus fear as well. I mean, Jesus said that in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Uh, Jesus told us, he said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And the world hates Christ, and the world hates Christians, doesn't like us because we expose the darkness, and he exposes the darkness, which men love, and then calls people away from the darkness to follow Jesus. And John said it, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. John 3, 19. And so I'm just saying to all of us listening here, if you're here and you're rejecting Jesus, you're afraid of Jesus, rejecting Jesus, my guess is because you're afraid of Jesus. You're afraid of what Jesus is going to ask of you, afraid of Jesus is going to require of you, afraid of what Jesus is going to take from you instead of realizing what Jesus is going to give to you. 
The city of Boston has a flagpole in front of one of the municipal buildings. And they have had a history of allowing anybody who wants to fly their flag for their cause the freedom to raise their flag. Until a Christian group asked to raise the Christian flag. On the only flag that was denied the right to fly in on that flagpole. And so the Supreme Court just ruled nine to zero that Boston was out of line because they were discriminating against their expression of free speech because they had allowed everybody else expression of free speech. The city of Boston said we didn't allow this one because that flag and it's what they believe in doesn't represent our ideas. The world hates us because it hated Jesus, because we expose the darkness. Because when we say sin is sin, we say there is black and white, and you can't continue in your sin, or you're going to be destined for an eternity apart from God. That's not hate speech, that's love speech. Because I don't want people, if I hated them, I wouldn't say anything. Because then they would go to hell. Afraid. They were afraid. The final play for the Sanhedrin was to secure the tomb. Verse 64, it it says, Therefore give uh, give orders for the grave to be made secure. This is them bossing him around uh, until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception be worse than the first. What was the reason given for securing the tomb? possible deception, alleged deception by the disciples. Um, Look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 12 through 13, okay? Let's read that. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, this is the Roman soldiers, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. Where's the deception? This is actual deception. So they wanted to guard the tomb for fear of alleged deception. And when they guarded the tomb and Jesus was gone, now they had to actually make deception. How ironic. The very thing they used to secure the tomb was the excuse they gave, the reason they gave for securing the tomb was the excuse they gave for why he was gone. It didn't happen by accident. In Matthew 28, it's a reversal. In Matthew 27, there's a guard that's securing the tomb, and Jesus is in the tomb. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is risen from the dead, and the soldiers are hightailing it, running, trying to find a bush to hide under, trying to reason what's going on. And then we have the rejection in verses 65 and 66. Uh, Pilate's cowardice is, is on display here. He doesn't want anything to do with anything remotely or aligning him with treason or, uh, you know, or rebellion. And so he caves to the pressure. You have a guard, go make it secure. You know, you know how. Okay? You know how. He was pressured into it in the same way that I think the, the draft opinion was leaked so that the Pressure would be brought to bear on Supreme Court justices to to cave to a different position. 
Pilate caved to his position. And blinded by their unbelief, what did the religious leaders do? They, they went and they made the tomb secure, which means they, they put a Roman guard around it. And then they didn't stop there. They, they set a seal on the tomb, on the rock, on the stone. And when they set a seal, it was a Roman seal. Means that now this is Roman jurisdiction. And if you break this seal, you're going to pay the wrath of Rome. Okay, that's it. Their rejection reflects our human tendency. We're going to disdain Jesus. We're going to demean Jesus. Somehow we're going to put Jesus. Somehow Jesus really can't be who he, who he is. And so we put it down. I appreciate the, the sense of humor that I find in this text. Uh, the safeguards that the Sanhedrin put in place to secure the tomb demand, demand that a genuine and supernatural resurrection have occurred in order to be explained. I mean, they put it in place so that the only possible reasonable explanation would be the supernatural resurrection of Jesus. Because anything else short of that, they, they did everything they could to keep it from happening. I just marvel at God's working in history and throughout the theology and he's bringing in fulfillment of scripture and the historical events and then the prophetic fulfillment of the resurrection of Jesus it was impossible for the dead body to have been stolen so that we serve a risen savior he's not in the tomb he's alive he is risen and sadly uh Many today, I think, share the rejection that the Sanhedrin has for Jesus. And it leads to their own destruction. We have family members. We have neighbors. We have friends. We have people that we meet at Aldi's or Target. People in Haiti that we go and, and serve around that are rejecting Jesus. They don't know Christ. And we are charged to bring the glorious message of salvation because of Jesus' death and his burial, a truly dead Jesus who died to set us free. That's the message we carry to a lost and dying world. Psalm 51, verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit then I will instruct transgressors in your way and sinners will be converted you understand that the psalmist is saying restore to me the joy of my salvation, because I real has created in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let me recognize your mercy in my life and your grace in my life so that I will be motivated, that I would instruct transgressors in your way, that he is a God of grace, he's a God of redemption, he's a God of forgiveness. And if you put your faith and your trust in him and turn from your sin, guess what? You'll be free. You'll be free. You'll be forgiven, and you will one day join him in heaven. Let us join 
with the centurion and his troop at the foot of the cross. Let us join with the thief who was hanging next to Jesus. Remember me when you come into paradise. Let us join with Joseph of Arimathea who became a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Not a shadow man, but a stand-up man for Jesus. And like the women who were faithful to him, last to leave the cross, first to come and see him, uh, the tomb, and the first to declare his resurrection. And how is it that, that, that these people actually believed? What was going on there? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's the Spirit of God quickens our hearts, awakens within us a need, our understanding of our own sinful fallenness so that we repent and turn and trust in Christ and then we are His children. And if the Spirit of God is prompting you right now to make that choice and turn and trust, then I invite you to do it. Just cry out in your heart. God hears your prayer and say, Lord, I need you. I'm running away from you and I want to trust you as my king. I want to be joined with the women and the centurion, and Joseph of Arimathea, and all the saints throughout history who surrendered their lives to Christ. You know, this uh, week will be the state track meet, okay, in Iowa. They have the, the state track meet. And you go to the state track meet, and uh, every, every school has their own, uh, you know, all the people have their own colored shirts, you know. Ironically, most of the time, the color of the shirt doesn't really match the school colors. I never did figure that out. We always had to have a different color. We have school colors, but we don't wear those school. So anyhow, everybody's cheering for their team, right? Why am I so silent about my king? I can esteem him with faith and reverence, or I can demean him with fear and rejection. I want to join Joseph and the women and be bolder for Jesus and to live more consistently in reverence for Jesus and courageously for him. <laughs> Romain was in his 80s and uh, he would uh, go to Rochester, Minnesota because his wife um, had cancer and they were going there every six months for treatment. He'd always he Pastor, you got any books? You got any of those books for me? And uh, I'd give him some books and he would take uh, magazines and gospel tracts and he'd go in the waiting room and he'd sit down into somebody and says, you know, here, I got, I got a book I want to give you. You know, what, what, what do you think of Jesus? You know, and he would talk to people he never knew. He just introduced himself, and he was just the sweetest, gentlest, kindest old guy. You know, so uh, you know nobody would be obnoxious to him. But he says, you know, Pastor, I'm too old to care what people think. I don't want to wait till I'm old. I already am. Uh, I want to love Jesus enough not to care what people think. Each time we take this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim 
the Lord's death until he comes in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verses 11, 12. That he poured out himself to death to bear our iniquities. You know what doing this, in my opinion, should do? It should bring a, a, a massive flood of humility over every child of God. For me, he died. For me, he lives. Everlasting light and life he freely gives to undeserving sinners like me. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And it's also a time of great celebration. I'm free. I'm free. Thank God I'm free. And so I pray that as our praise team comes and as they sing this, this song, that you would take time in the quietness of your own heart. If you're a child of God, you're welcome to partake of these elements. But search your heart and humbly acknowledge your undeserved gift of salvation. And joyfully thank God for what he's done in your life. And then as you feel led, our practice is there's a table at the back, there's a table at the front that you come forward and that you would take uh, the tongs and, and get a piece of bread and that you would take uh, a cup and that you would take the elements as you feel led, no pressure. Do it as you feel led by, your, by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message of the tomb. I thank you for the responses that may mirror our response. And if they mirror a response of faith and reverence, Lord, keep us pressing ahead. And if they model of uh, fear and rejection, I pray that you would search us and turn us back to you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our sin the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed he pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our sins punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed we are healed by your sacrifice in life that you gave we are healed for you paid the price by your grace we are saved we are saved it was pierced for our transgression it was crushed for our sins upon 
punishment that bought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed by his wounds by his wounds we are healed what can wash song together but before we do that let's give thanks for the offering if you'd like to contribute to the offering uh, you can do so on your way out uh, look for the offering box on the welcome table 
Father, we are humbled as we think about um, this simple story, how Jesus was laid in a tomb. Um, the stone was rolled over the entrance and it was sealed. Um, every precaution, every preparation, every step was put in place um, to keep the body there. But Father, no power of man, um, no scheme of hell could, could keep you in that tomb. And we thank you that you have risen, uh, you have become victorious over death. We thank you for the faith of Joseph and uh, the women and, and those who came to secure that body. Um, Lord, may you give us boldness and courage as we go out this week. Uh, help us to be your ambassadors, your lights in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to breathe. 
Day. We look forward to seeing you back next week. Salvation